oh, just go find a good deal. The money will come. No, you have to be doing both simultaneously. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't matter if you have the most amazing deal in the world. If you don't know anybody to give you money, you can't do anything with it. This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will help you escape Wall Street and build wealth on Main Street by investing in real estate. I'm your host, Taylor Lote, and today our guest is Tyler Cobble. Tyler is a commercial real estate investor based in Nashville and so much more. He's also a commercial real estate broker, and he's getting so much done there. Today, we're digging into his experience with commercial real estate and specifically office. We talk a lot about office investing in Nashville, but also a little bit more broadly in this conversation. Office is an asset class that frankly is here to stay, but it's going to have its ups and downs. Today, we dig into his thoughts about the current state of the market, specific deals that he has done in the office space, including the office building in which he works, how he acquired that, how he added value. We also dig into triple net leasing, industrial real estate, and a bit more. This is a a niche area of commercial real estate for a lot of us Main Street type of investors, but there's so much of it around us. It benefits us to know how these deals work and see where the opportunity lies, right? And there's definitely plenty of opportunity out there if you're willing to go find it. Great conversation, a lot of powerful knowledge in this one from Tyler Cobble. Once again, I'm your host, Taylor Vogt. I'm a real estate investor, and I focus on multifamily and commercial real estate. If you'd like to learn more about potentially investing with us on a future deal, just go to investwithtaylor.com, fill out the form and schedule a call, and I will look forward to speaking with you soon. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Right now, once again, our guest is Tyler Cobble. Let's get into it. Tyler, thanks so much for joining us today. I'm excited to talk about commercial real estate investing with you. For our listeners out there who don't know about you and your background, can you tell us about what you do and all about your business in commercial real estate? Absolutely. Yeah. Taylor, thanks for having me on the show, man. Excited to be here. I got started about 10 years ago this year, I guess. It's coming up here pretty soon. An in-house leasing agent for a boutique development firm, sat in on all of their development meetings and put together my first development at 24, which was 42 townhomes. I run a very vertically integrated commercial real estate firm now. So I have a commercial real estate brokerage that you know does leasing and sales. It does third-party work, but it's mostly on kind of our own product now, which is pretty great. I've got a commercial property management company that does pretty much the same thing, which is always fun. And it's the beauty of commercial real estate when you're when you're running this business. And then I've got my development and investment firm where we develop anything from you know a six-bed car wash that we converted into five micro restaurants and a bar, all the way up to a one and a half million square foot master plan community here in Nashville. So we're kind of all over the place. We just like to pick projects that we think will be fun and we'll give back to the community. Awesome. I love that. And really varied projects that you highlighted there. Can we define some terms? And when we talk about commercial real estate, at least in the context of your business, the types of properties that you work with and manage, you dropped a few, but I'd like to get the the full picture. Yeah, absolutely. So on the brokerage side, we do everything because of what we've been doing. And through my blog and YouTube, we're starting to do a lot of triple net investing across the country. That's been very interesting for us to work on the past couple of years, especially with where interest rates are now. The property management side, we do office, retail, industrial, and multifamily. It's mostly office and retail. And then on the development side, we will do literally anything. I've got a hotel going right now. We've got some restaurant concepts underway. We're doing a master plan community down in Chattanooga that's going to be office, retail, industrial, hospitality, you name it. It's going to have everything to it. So we really do like to touch on a lot of things. I I tend to stay away more from multifamily 
just because I don't feel like there's a lot of value there or there hasn't been in the last five years. It's tougher to kind of squeeze the juice out of that orange. But yeah, we kind of do a little bit of everything, which makes us unique for sure. Awesome. That's great. So you touched on triple net and a lot of folks, if you're if you're kind of newer to commercial real estate, you might not know what that means. Maybe you've heard that term kind of bandied around here, here and there. So what does that actually mean? Then we'll dig into where the value is found in triple net deals. Absolutely. So a triple net lease is just a lease structure. There's several different kinds in commercial real estate where the three nets of a lease, which are your common area maintenance, property taxes, and building insurance are actually covered by the tenants. So, you know, in multifamily, if your property taxes go up, typically you have to pay for that as the landlord, whereas in triple net, you don't. So if they go up, they get passed on directly to the tenant. So the base rent that you are collecting is your true NOI, unless you have some administrative expenses on the asset level. Okay. And does that apply to all of the types of commercial real estate that you work with? Or is are there some types that are, you know, I think it's absolute net is the term or net. There's, there's two net. I'm not a commercial real estate investor yeah. in this particular asset class. So I'm a little out of my depth here. But does that apply to all of them or do you have other types? We do have varying types. I mean, I would say the majority of what we're trying to do where we can, we'll do triple net. A lot of tenants are used to it. It's it's friendly for both us and them in different ways. But you know, this office building that I'm in now, I bought this in 2019. It's 28,000 square feet. It's not really easy to it's not really easy to have triple net leases in a structure like this for for a variety of reasons. So we have what's called a full service gross lease here, where the tenant does pay us one lump sum, and then we as the landlord pay all of the expenses. So so much more similar to multifamily in that respect. Okay. Okay. Interesting. So. Where is the value to be found in a property that's leased out triple net? You think that, okay, I have a, a lease that's at a relatively fixed value. They're covering all of these expenses. I know what my NOI is. I know what my debt service is. So how can I create value in a triple net type of deal or find value in one of those types of deals? It's a great question. So it depends on what side of the ball you're on. And there's, there's several different ways you can get involved in triple net investing. One is as a developer, you could go out and build a single tenant net lease. You know, think of, you know, Arby's or Walgreens or something, you know, Starbucks, something like that, where you will lease it to Starbucks, you will build it for them, and then you'll sell it on a cap rate based on the NOI, the net operating income that that lease produces. And that'll give you a significant value. You could also invest in a an existing shopping center. Maybe it has, you know, 85% occupancy and you think that those lease rates are under value and you can fill the current vacancy, that'll help you increase the NOI so that you can sell it on a cap rate. So a lot of the value comes from just driving the NOI up, whether that's through increasing your rental rates or decreasing your operating expenses, essentially arbitraging it on a cap rate. Okay. Okay. So since the beginning of COVID and you know we're on the back end of it now, depending on who you ask, it's over. I've for, it's over for me, but yeah, people have been talking about the the death of the office. It's the office and retail, but more so the office. You know, people working from home and everything. Have you seen occupancies in office go way up? Has investor appetite kind of gone away from offices? Does that mean there's opportunity there? I mean, what has really changed in the office space? I think in terms of office, you really have to dial down into the different asset classes and locations. You know, when when people start talking about, oh, you know, office space is dead, it's it's a massive generalization. You know, the Southeast is not seeing nearly as big of issues in the office space as the Northeast or the West Coast. 
And that's because there's a lot of business drivers here. So people are relocating their offices here. And it also depends on if you're in the downtown core or if you're in the urban core adjacent, you know, the neighborhoods that surround the urban core. You've got a lot of business owners that need office space. They have a team, but they don't necessarily want to go downtown. So most of our office assets are class B minus, class C plus. They're not the, the highest end in the market, but they're certainly not the lowest end. They're nice looking space, affordable, and they're in good strategic areas. And so we actually have seen our occupancies go up dramatically because people got tired of working from home and decided, you know what, I do need an office space. I can't do this anymore. So this office building that we're in now, uh, it was 40% occupied when I first bought it back in 2019, and we're now at 100% occupancy. And I've also raised rental rates about $7 a foot here, which is almost 50%. And then I had another office building that pretty, pretty similar story. We bought it in June of 2019. We renovated the full building, delivered it worst time possible, January of 2020, Ooh. and started our leasing. But because it, we, we focused on micro office spaces there, so office space for one to five employees, we actually signed 16 leases by that October and sold the building. Wow. Wow. Okay. And that's a step up. I was listening to, granted, it's a few years old now, but there were Sam Zell, famous real estate investor, billionaire, everything, did an interview on Tim Ferriss's show mid-2019, so before the pandemic happened. And he was talking about the failure of WeWork and other co-working spaces. But that particular project that you mentioned, it's kind of, it sounds like it's one step up from the WeWorks and you're having actual small offices, small, small companies in the spaces rather than individual workers renting out a desk, essentially. That's Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, I think that co-working definitely has a space. It's a nice stepping off point. But I think that where a lot of the co-working companies got a little ahead of themselves is they tried to compete with traditional office space by sectioning off, you know, 10 or 20% of some of these floor plates for, you know, two, three, 4,000 square foot tenants that didn't want to pay $150 a foot to just have concierge service and be in WeWork? I don't know. So it's <laughs> it's it's a very different style. It's kind of like, I guess, what like what Regis would be, right? You get your own private office suite, but you have you know shared restrooms in the hallway. You've got a shared kitchenette for the tenants. You have an office directory. So you get the professional presence without having to necessarily share your space with other people, which again was good during COVID. And most of our offices were in that like 200 to mate. I think we had one that was 500 square feet. So they were all very small. Wow. Okay. So I've, I've considered a few years down the road, I think when I get to a certain point, I'll consider buying an office building and, and have using one of the units for myself. And the deal that you did that you bought 40% occupied, now it's 100%, you've raised the rents and everything. I mean, that's pretty compelling. Granted, that was pre-COVID and everything, times change. But how does one generally find that type of an opportunity? One, finding it, and then two, evaluating it. Because when you tell me I'm a multifamily guy, so when you tell me 40% occupied, I think that building is basically falling down. Like there's big right. capex, there's a reason, you know, it's distressed. So let's dive into all that. Yeah, that's a great question. So it's it's like being in multifamily and just finding an apartment building that's, it's not really falling apart, but it's not being marketed right. And the spaces don't really look all that great, so nobody really wants to lease them. The exterior of the building's a little boring, and you know you just drive by it and don't even notice it. So when we bought it, well, I looked at it and I said, okay, it's forty percent occupied. Here's the rents that they're getting. I was a commercial real estate broker. I mean, I still am. So I looked at market rental rates for comparable product, 
And I determined based on the amount of construction that we would have to put into it to reface the building, redo all of the common area hallways, and then start delivering new office suites. Here, you know, X is our target rental rate. Well, compared to all of the other product in the market, that's still, you know, five to 10% below what they'll find. And we're still very well located. So to me, it was a no brainer because it, it worked at the price that I bought it at if we didn't do anything with it. So we got in here, did all those renovations, fixed it up. And, you know, you can imagine, I mean, going from 40% to 100% occupancy, it doesn't really increase the value two and a half times. It becomes a three, four, five X because the property just operates so much more smoothly. So it becomes more valuable on a cap rate basis. Yeah, absolutely. Did you refi to pull any of your capital out? I mean, what's the situation today? We haven't yet. We're going to be doing that. Well, we were planning on doing that this year, but with where interest rates are, we're probably going to have to hold off for a little bit. So I'm glad you mentioned interest rates because I wanted to turn the conversation that direction, right? Cost of money is a big factor in real estate investing. You've touched on cap rates and you know that corresponds with the value of the property and also we have the the cost of debt financing and everything. So as rates have gone up, have you seen impacts in the commercial real estate space? Let's stick it with let's keep with offices since that's been the context of this conversation. Have you seen that really shift the market? I mean, you've personally made some business business decisions as a result of interest rates, right? So is that happening more broadly in your area? Absolutely. I mean, we've we've dropped projects because of interest rates. We've had other developers drop our for sale projects because of interest rates. So, you know, it's 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 happening left and right, but it's not the end of the world. You know, we know it's going to be a temporary cor- correction. We know that it's going to come roaring back. It's Nashville. We're very fortunate to be in in such a wonderful market, and there's and there's still a significant amount of demand. So, it it really depends on what kind of product you have. I think that you can still make these deals work. They just have to be at lower price points, you know? And, and are you willing to sell right now? I mean, for my personal portfolio, no, because I know what they're going to be worth in two, three, four, five years. But we do have other in- investors that are like, you know what? I just need this cash to go do this other project. Let's drop the price to $300,000 to, to kind of account for the change in interest rates and let's just get it sold. So, you know, I, I would say the triple net market has probably been affected more than anything else. Multifamily development has been really tough because you just can't make those interest rates work with construction costs where they are and then deliver a product, an end product where you can actually get them rented. So I I would say triple net multifamily have probably been affected the most. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. So how about, I'm curious also on the industrial side of commercial real estate investing, what your experience is there and you know, there's all kinds of talks about recessions, everything that I'm seeing, at least now when we record, unemployment numbers are still good. There's not a big issue, but interest rates are, are high nonetheless. Have you seen a big change or shift in the industrial space as rates have gone up and we've had these conversations about recession? Yeah. I mean, overall across the country, we've, we have seen a shift in industrial. I do have to caveat like every conversation I ever have about this because Nashville is just so unique you know, with with how it's been going in Nashville over the last five to ten years, there is an an incredibly massive demand for industrial in this area because, you know, if you are a logistics company or you're manufacturing from Nashville, you can reach eighty percent of the population within a day's drive. It's a state income tax free state, so we don't have state income tax. So, you know, if you own a business and you relocate here, there are a lot of advantages to that. So, we're still seeing very high demand for industrial. 
at the end of the day, though, for these developers that are building these warehouses, it does come down to a cap rate play, right? So if my interest rates to build the building are now more expensive, then I have to go back to the tenant and tell them, nope, you've got to pay more in rent because I have to be able to sell it for this. So that's that's pretty much where it's going right now. Industrial is still very strong. It's got a very good outlook for 2023 and beyond. But let's be honest, e-commerce isn't going anywhere anytime soon, and, and the pandemic only made it stronger. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And as someone who many, almost a decade ago now, moved south and experienced the better climate and everything, I'm not moving further north. So I think there will be <laughs> right. continued you know, migration southward over time. But you know, that's maybe a discussion for another day. So you mentioned not having personal income tax in the state of Tennessee. Other states, I don't know Tennessee situations, but other states, you, know, you have to compensate for that by having maybe higher property taxes or what have you. How does Tennessee make up that difference? Is it property taxes? Because then that's an issue for real estate investors to deal with. That's right. So that's actually what makes Nashville one of the more attractive states with no state income tax, because we don't make it up in property taxes. Mm. We actually have relatively low property taxes, especially compared to another state like Texas, right? They're a te- state income tax-free state, but they have relatively high property taxes. Tennessee makes up a lot of theirs, well, and specifically Nashville, through sales tax. I mean, over 51% of, the, of Nashville's taxes come from Broadway, right? There's so much tourism. They're all coming here, spending their money at the bars and having fun. And so we make up for a lot of it that way. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. So I'd like to shift a little bit toward your progression in the business and how you grew at such a, a relatively young age. This, is all, this always interests me when you know I talk with folks who achieved a lot, especially in their 20s and were developing real estate in their 20s. That's you know impressive and, and kind of mind-blowing, especially when you compare to folks <laughs> who wanted to do that in their 20s and didn't, didn't achieve those things. So what would you say you know sets you apart or how did you, you know, what, what made you different that you achieved that goal? Yeah, I think, you know, fortunately I got started in it very young. You know, I dropped out of college after my freshman year, moved back to Nashville and almost immediately got into commercial real estate. So I, you know, I'm 10 years, I'm 30 years old, but I'm 10 years into the business. And so I think that that's a bit of a leg up. I, I basically apprenticed in commercial real estate instead of going through college. I think also that I... I'm just not afraid to go do it. You know, I think that that's the biggest thing when it comes to any kind of real estate. It's like, you've just got to do the first one. I know that it's intimidating. I know it's scary. And I had the thought of, there's one more book I can read. There's one more podcast I can listen to. There's one more YouTube video. There's one more coffee meeting. You know, there's so much where you just make these excuses. And guess what? You're never going to learn how to truly do it until you do that first project. And I actually kind of got just thrown in the fire on my first office building where I had to raise capital. I had I was brokering the deal and I had an investor that put it under contract. His financing didn't come through. So we're like two months into the deal and you know I've got an $18,000 commission on the line, so I got to figure this out. So I bring in another investor and his financing doesn't come through. And by this time, I've been working on the project for four months and I knew the numbers worked. I, I knew it because I knew what they would rent for. It was a great little building on a corner in the middle of this neighborhood. It was like the downtown of this neighborhood. So I ended up just saying, you know what? Assign the contract to me. I had no idea how I was going to pull it off, but I knew I could call a couple of guys, get them to throw $50,000 in each, and we were off to the races. And And that's exactly what happened. But I do say that first capital raise really set the wrong tone for me because I made literally two calls and got two investors. <laughs> and, and that's just not how it really works. 
Okay, so setting the wrong tone, that's interesting. Sounds like down the road, I'm going to pull on that thread a little bit. Sounds like down the road, you went to do a subsequent capital raise or do a subsequent deal and happened to eh, struggle a little bit more than you really had anticipated or than you had the first time. Totally. Totally. I mean, that's that's the thing about you know syndication and, and, and raising capital that people just don't think about or, or maybe just don't talk about enough. But yeah, I mean, I, I went from a $125,000 raise on my first deal, which was easy, right? It's only $125,000 to getting bored and saying, okay, well, I want to do a $10 million project. And I, <laughs> and I worked my way up, right? I mean, but I guess my next raise after that was about $450,000. And, you know, that's 10 or four, sorry, four times the size. And so going through that, you're, you're having to talk to way more people. And then you start to get, different personalities involved and it's not your original investors anymore. And I ended up having three investors or four investors pull out the week before closing because one of the guys just decided he didn't want to invest in office space. He was a home investor and he called his three friends that were also investing in the deal and and convinced them all to pull out. I couldn't believe it. We ended up we ended up getting a 29.3% IRR on that deal. So uh, it, it was a great home run deal and I hope they feel really bad for doing that. But it, it's just things like that where you've got to you've got to push through it and you know when you're when you're the general partner, you're the one leading these deals, your cash is on the line, your reputation is on the line and that's it, man. You just got to pull through it. Yeah, there's this this saying in the space of find a good deal and the money will follow and it's just not true. It's totally false. You really have to work to find the money. It doesn't just come to you. Thank you for saying that. I say that all the time because I it, nothing frustrates me more than when people say, oh, just go find a good deal and the money will come. I feel like that's just such a cop out when when somebody just doesn't want to de- like go through the actual conversation of, hey, here's actually how to do this. It's just, oh, just go find a good deal. The money will come. No, you have to be doing both simultaneously. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't matter if you have the most amazing deal in the world. If you don't know anybody to give you money, you can't do anything with it. It's, I mean, it's so like, I, I just think that, that that saying just doesn't make sense. No, it's, it's a hundred percent right. And I wonder about your, your mindset. So our mindset as investors is, is critical and keeping us moving forward and everything. But your mindset at that time, when you found out that that guy pulled out, okay, you know, fine, that's, that's okay. But then he called everybody else and told them to leave, get out of the deal. I would be like offended, number one. And too, probably kind of devastated, right? That sounds pretty painful of an experience. I was I was pretty upset. I mean, I, I was younger. I was 26. And it was the first time that it ever happened to me. So, you know, I, I probably fumed about it for a day and then realized, okay, well, this isn't going to help. Like we've got, we got to do anything, start making phone calls. So I just started calling everybody that was in my, my Rolodex and just, you know, pitching them on the deal. And fortunately we were able to pull it off. So, it, you know, at the company right now, we we do these lunch and learns and we read books, right? I have everybody read a couple of chapters of book and we talk about it every week. And the best book on this topic is The Obstacle is the Way by Ryan Holiday. Great book. Phenomenal book. Talks about stoicism and and it and it really gets you to look at the the problem objectively and and pull your emotions out of it because getting all emotional and upset about stuff isn't going to change anything. I mean, I look at that and I go, okay, what can I control? I can control how many phone calls I make in the next 24 hours to make this deal happen. That is true. That is true. Before we go to the three questions I ask every guest on the show, for the folks out there who want to learn more about commercial real estate investing, and I don't mean like multifamily and self-storage like I do, because commercial real estate investing is kind of a big tent, but we're talking office, retail, industrial type of things. Are there any good books or resources out there that they could dig into to learn more? 
I mean, I'll, I'll plug my YouTube channel. We've got over 250, you know, free videos out there on commercial real estate investing. You know, we, we're trying to bring the highest quality content on commercial real estate to that platform. I also think that there are a number of podcasts now. I mean, man, when I first got started 10 years ago, there was nothing available. I think there were two podcasts and one of them had stopped running like a year and a half before, which I was really bummed about when I realized because I got to the last episode. I was like, oh, they stopped doing this in like 2011. Man, yeah, I mean, podcasts, with it. They, were, they were an early mover in 2011. I know. I can't even imagine where they would be. He would have the biggest podcast now, which is, which is really wild. I always push the CCIM designation, even whether you're going to broker deals or not, going through the Certified Commercial Investment Member classes, there's only four of them. The amount that that will teach you alone is, is worth all of the money. It's expensive, I know. But you know, I took the 104 class, which teaches you how to underwrite investments. And the next week as a broker, I had a $1.8 million deal under contract that paid for all of my classes because I underwrote a deal, shot it to an investor and said, hey, I think you should buy this. And he said, I think you're right. Nice. Nice. Awesome. I love it. Right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. Are you looking for a way to easily track your rental property finances? Check out Stessa. Stessa makes managing real estate investments simple. You can easily keep track of the performance, finances, and the paper trail of your rental properties. Our listeners can get started for free and then upgrade at any time to unlock their more advanced tools. And the even better news is that the upgrade is very affordable and will not break your bank. Smart investors know that tracking the numbers, tracking the money, tracking the finances is what really drives your success. Check out Stessa. It'll make your property finances easier. Just go to escapingwallstreet.com, scroll down to the Stessa logo, and get started for free. Now back to the show. All right, Tyler, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? Let's do it. Great. First one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? I would say the best investment I ever made. What, does a mastermind count towards education? I'll let it slide if you'll tell us more about it. Okay. So I joined a mastermind called GoBundance uh, years years back. I don't know. Yeah, it sounds like you're familiar with them. Mm -hmm. And it was one of the best things that I ever did because of the network that I got surrounded with. I was sitting in a room full of people that had written a book. So I wrote a book. I was sitting in a room full of people that were all investing in commercial real estate and syndicating deals. I didn't even know what syndication was at the time. And so that's how I found my mentor, Bruce Peterson, who taught me everything that I know about syndication. And then I found you know, some apartment guys out of, out of Atlanta, the Greenleaf guys that, that really just taught me how to go and find deals and put them together. And so that was so valuable. Wow. Great. No, that's a good one. I've heard so much about GoBundance. It feels like almost every other podcast guest I have on these days is a GoBundance member. Oh, that's great. <laughs> so, there, there might be something there. So it clearly is something there, rather. So we had the best investment. Now we go to the other side of that coin, the worst investment. What is the worst investment you ever made? The worst investment I ever made, I'm going to give an example of, it was my first deal, actually, which is funny because I still say, do it anyway. We, we ended up walking away unscathed. I got my investors an 8% return. But something happened in that deal that I had never thought would ever happen to me, where one of the one of my investors committed a massive amount of fraud. Oh, and he was a, he was also a developer. He ended up running off with somewhere between five and ten million dollars, disappeared into the sunset of investor capital. Now, fortunately, it didn't financially affect this property, but 
I was worried that we were going to get wrapped up into a federal investigation and they freeze your assets. And I didn't want to deal with that for two, three, four, five years, however long that would take. So we fire sold it. I was able to get everybody their money back plus an 8% annualized return, which I think is pretty good, all things considered. But that was definitely the worst deal I've ever had. Wow. So did you ever end up getting a call from the feds? We never did. So for some reason, he never got investigated and he's still here in Nashville, which blows my mind. I don't know how that happened. Well, no names. Yeah. My favorite question here at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing? I, you know what? We kind of touched on this earlier and it's just just go out there and do it. Just pull the trigger on that first deal, even if you think that it's not a home run. I mean, don't, I feel like too many people try and swing for the fences on their first one because they've got to do this crazy project. Even if you make no money, like let's assume, let's hopefully you don't lose money, but let's assume you don't make any money. The education that you will get and the, the emotional strength that you will gain going through that process. I mean, look, I didn't sleep the night before we closed on that because I, I kept, I kept having those intrusive bad thoughts. Like, Am, am I making the right decision? Am I making, you know, I've got investor capital. What do I do? Oh my gosh. But after the day after we closed, I was like, oh, that was really easy. That was so easy. It was so much easier than I thought it was going to be. I can't believe I built it up to be this mountain. So I bought three more office buildings that year. <laughs> <laughs> nice. That's awesome. And doing that first one, it is scary. Honestly, I still get a little bit of butterflies with every deal we do to some extent. And that's excitement, right? That's still being yeah. excited about it, but it's less scary. You got to feel alive, man. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, Tyler, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing all these lessons with our audience. If folks can reach out, if they want to get in touch, if they want to learn more about what you're up to or anything like that, where can they track you down? Yeah, absolutely. So if you want to get in touch with me, the best way is on Instagram. My handle is at commercial in Nashville with underscores as spaces. And if you want to learn more about what we're doing, go over to YouTube. Check out our YouTube channel. It's just under Tyler Cobble. Very straightforward and easy to find. Awesome. Well, thank you once again for joining us today. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind, you guys. I appreciate that so, so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcasts ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys. That gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're building wealth on Main Street along with us. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Right now, I hope you have a great rest of your day and we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.